Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Well, today we are going to put the capstone on this mini series that we started. Um, And if you notice on the board, uh, this is actually not the title of the, um, the series. This is actually kind of the subtitle of this sermon, Don't Quit. But we started a message or a series of messages uh, last week. It was called Hope in the Day of Trouble. And last week, what we came to realize that hope really is the anchor that holds us tight when the storm is raging. Can you say amen? Now, I could ask for a show of hands this morning. I could walk around the room, and, or I could say from the pulpit, would you lift your hand if you've ever been in a storm? And there's no doubt that everybody here would probably raise their hand. We have all suffered and have been in those moments and those times of difficulty where we're facing those, those times and those feelings where we feel helpless and we feel hopeless. It's a, it's a season where it gets dark. It's a season where we are very challenged. It's a season where we're not quite sure what's going on. And as we look over the landscape of our life, we don't see much good. And we're beginning to wonder what is going on. And even, those, even though those moments in life can be very intense, they are in fact temporary. And one of the things that I want to get across to you is that if you are in a storm right now, I want to tell you that what you feel right now is temporary. It is not going to last. It will not dictate your life. It will not define who you are. It is temporary. It is a moment in time. Can you say amen? And there is some really, really good news in the midst of this. One of the things that I think that happens when we get into these storms like this is we often forget the good news, amen? And that's what we gotta hang on to, is we gotta hang on to good news. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, which is what was our text for last week, he says this, speaking about Jesus, it says, he will not crush those who are weak or quench the smallest hope until he brings full justice with his final Victory. Now, you've, you've got to understand what he's saying here. He's talking about the characteristic of Jesus. He's talking about who he is and how he views our weakness and our struggle. See, oftentimes the devil will come to us and he will lie to us and he will tell us that our weakness and our struggle is not pleasing to God and that somehow we have disappointed God and that we have failed him and that now there is going to be retribution, there is going to be a punishment of sorts and that what we're going through really is the work of God. And church, I want you to understand that is an absolute, bona fide lie from the pit of hell. When God looks upon us, he knows our frame, that we are but dust, and he tells us, I am compassionate over the weakest of you, and I will not crush you, I will not break you, I will not hurt you, but I will in fact repair you, I will restore you, and even though your wick is all but out, even though 
The passion of your heart is growing dim because of circumstance. God says, I will not snuff it out. I will breathe upon that and I will cause it to come back to life. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus told Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Amen. And we need to get that on the inside. That needs to be a part of who we are. He is the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? Though you were dead, yet you will live. Can you say amen? amen. Paul is facing a, 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 a severe crisis. He is in the, in the area of Ephesus and his preaching has stirred the religious community. It has caused some real problems and now people are very upset and it gets so intense that Paul's own words are that we came to a place that we despaired even of life. In other words, our only hope or the only way out of this we thought was death. He says, but even in spite of that, we trusted God who can raise the dead and he came through. That means even if I got to die, God gets the last word. Can you say amen? God has the last word and he is going to bring to pass what he always intended and he is gonna see it through. That's what that verse is talking about for you and I. Can you say amen? Now, no one this morning spoke like Jesus spoke. He spoke both with authority and with comfort. He was able to comfort and to encourage the weakest around him. His words would penetrate to the heart and his words healed every wound. The Bible says that Jesus is the anointed one. And when he was speaking of himself, when he read scripture in the temple, this is what he said, Luke chapter four, verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus is speaking of himself and he says, this is why I've come. This was his mission when he came. It was his ministry then as he walked on the earth and it is his ministry and his mission today. He is still healing the brokenhearted. He is still bringing liberty to captives. He is still recovering the sight of the blind and he is still setting the oppressed free. Can you say amen? This is such a powerful truth that we must understand. There's not a person in this room today that has not struggled and wondered, where is God? Whether it's been a medical issue, whether it's been a family issue, a marital issue, a financial issue, Maybe it's been something outside of that. Maybe it's extended family. Maybe it's circumstances. Maybe it's just simply an attack of the devil who has come against you in ways that you don't understand. The truth is we've all come to that place where we've struggled. And in that moment, what we need is that truth, that Jesus is here to preach the gospel, to speak and to declare the good news over you. Can you say amen? He's here to speak truth from heaven, that the kingdom of God 
is going to bear on the circumstances of your life. And he is going to change you. He's going to heal you. He is going to release you. He's going to open your eyes. And he is going to set you free. Can you say amen? Thank God this morning. Thank God this morning that under every devastation, there is the seed of restoration. There is nothing that God does in our life where redemption and restoration is not a part of it. Are you hearing me? Under every tragedy, there is the seed of a new beginning. And in every day of trouble, trouble, there is the seed of hope, ready to burst out in victory. Can you say amen to that? See, the great thing about the Bible is it is a living book. This is why I like the Bible. This is a Bible that transcends time. It transcends culture. It even follows me in my growth. As a new convert, as a new believer, as someone that doesn't know much, the Bible can still speak to me. But as someone that has matured and has a deep well of understanding and revelation, the Bible can still challenge me. Can you say amen? Simply put, the Bible grows with us. What it really means is the Bible meets us right where we are, especially this morning when we are struggling. Now, here's the thing I like about the Bible, is the Bible is not afraid to show us the harshness of life in this world. He said, what does that mean? The Bible does not live in denial. You ever notice that sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to want to live in denial, you know, especially faith Christians, the kind of Christians that have this mantra of faith. We, we think that faith demands that we never acknowledge a difficult day. That is simply not true. What faith says is that difficult day does not define me, nor does it have the last word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, Jesus never, never lived in denial. Jesus never, de- never denied the reality of difficulty. In fact, what he said is, is in spite of this difficulty, there is hope. Are you hearing me? See, the Bible shows us that difficult days can come, but it always leaves us with the beauty of his love and the power of his grace. And David understood this. He understood this very clearly when he penned the, the, uh, the Psalms, the songs of his heart. And I want to take a moment and I want you to listen to these passages of scripture because I want you to get these on the inside. Listen, I, let, let me just, can I, go on a, can I go on a little bunny trail just for a moment? See, one of the things that, that is kind of a pet peeve It's not only a pet peeve in my life as a person that I see in me, but it's also a pet peeve that I see in Christians. We're always wanting victory. Anybody want victory? Okay, everybody wants victory. Good. We want victory. We we don't want hardship. We don't want difficulty. We, We want ease of life. We want to get through things. We want to do this. We want the blessing of God. Well, God has outlined to you and I the truth of how that operates. But yet we are content to believe everything and to put things in us that works against that victory. 
And church, what we have to do, we have to get back to the word of God. We have to get back to scripture and we've got to start believing it as if it was real. Can you say amen? Because it is real. So in Psalm 71, verses one through three, the Bible says, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Now David is struggling, but yet he understands that God is his rock. He understands, yes, it's a bad day. Yes, you know, the dog is having kittens and the, the cow ran loose and, you know, the crops aren't growing and I don't know what to do and now Saul's after me and I'm not sure what to do, but I know this God, in spite of all of that, you will incline your ear to me, you will save me, you are my refuge, you are my rock and you are my fortress and that is my hope. In Psalm 27, he says this, the Lord is the light of my salvation, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this, I will be confident. He says, I am confident that God is for me in spite of what I see around me. Do you remember the story of the prophet Elijah? He has his servant with him. And one day the Philistine army encamped all around him and his servant went outside and got freaked out. He says, it's a whole army against two. What are we going to do? And Elisha wasn't even moved. He said, God, open his eyes and let him see there are more for us than against us. You've got to understand, church, we've got to understand there are more for us than there are against us. Can you say amen? In Psalm 40, verses one through three, he says, I patiently waited for the Lord. I, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me, he inclined to me, heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song Aren't you glad for that? A new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust the Lord. He says, I've waited patiently. I've been there. I'm holding my ground. And in the result is God did something powerful. And then in Psalm 61, verse one, he says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from my enemy. David never denies the reality of the enemy. He just simply says, I have a God who's going to save me. I have a God that is at work that has given commandment to save me. So if I could just for a moment, could I give you a picture of what it's like in heaven? When you are struggling, I'm just going to use some people I know really well, Mike and Brandy. When you are struggling, Jesus is sitting on his, on his throne, not his phone, his throne. Although he may have a phone. He probably has an iPhone because that's the best one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Jesus is there and he may use a, a phone, but he's on his throne. Man, that gets hard to, to say. But he says, he looks at the angels and goes, go save them. Amen. He's given commandment, go save them. 
He commands his angels. He commands his forces. <coughs> his Holy Spirit moves to save you. Commandment has been given. And in heaven, commandments aren't disobeyed. So the force of heaven goes to save you. Can you say amen? Now, David has been a man that has been someone that's in the throes of hardship often. Confusion, difficulty, trials, temptations, fears outwardly and inwardly, contending with difficult people. Has anybody contended with a difficult person? Please don't raise your hand. We've all, can, don't look at your neighbor either, husband, wife, elbow him. Yeah, I see some elbows going on. You're difficult. Well, let me tell you something. God is there to help you. He's there. No matter where you find yourself, no matter where you're at, God says, I'm there. There is hope. I'm here to rescue you. If there's one thing this morning in all of this that concerns me the most, it's this. It's the alarming willingness for you and I to give up. Now, for the most part, I'm speaking in this room to Christians. And here's the thing. Probably in this room, most of us would never just walk away. We wouldn't go, hey, you know what, God, I'm done. I don't believe in you and I'm off. We'd never do that. We're, we're probably too far for that. But what a lot of Christians do is they give up, but they never leave the church. They give up. They just kind of surrender. Their passion dims. Their commitment wanes. Oh yeah, no, I believe in God. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. They, because we got the buzzwords down. Praise the Lord, brother. How you doing? Oh, it's a bloody war, but my side's winning. Yeah, yeah praise God. We put a smile on at the right place. We know, we know what to do, but internally, there's no worship, there's no fire, there's no passion anymore. We, 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 we're, we're at a place where we've grown weary and we're tired. And we cover our giving up with accommodating theologies. You know what an accommodating theology is? It's a theology that accommodates what we believe instead of what he says. <laughs> you ought to write that down. That's good. <laughs> and so what we do is we bring out these accommodating theologies. We come to this place where what we do is we, 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 we say, you know what? It's okay. God understands. And in the end, we're sidelined. We become ineffective, powerless, and derailed. And that should never be our attitude. Amen. Church, we ought to be on fire. He says, be on fire, glow with the zeal of God. Yes. Isn't that what he tells us? He says, never, never lag in zeal. Amen. Never. Thessalonians, he tells us, don't lag in zeal. Amen. And then our text says this, one verse of scripture, listen. He says, let us not grow weary well, in well-doing, while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now there's a story that I've told many times before and the reason I love this story is because I love who it's about. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill 
He's just a great character. I love him. I love, uh, I've read books about him. I've read his auto, uh, I read biographies about him. And Winston Churchill always amazed me. See, the truth is, I like British politics more than I like American politics. I, and, the, and I've told you this before. And the reason I like that is because they're a lot more upfront. I love the fact that when they, like, questions to the prime minister, you should watch it on YouTube. It's great. Prime Minister gets up at the dispatch box, he begins to talk, and then the leader of the opposition, he gets to question him. And then the backbenchers get to question him. And they get up and they go, I love the politeness in their insult. I just want to say to the honorable gentleman, you're an idiot. And I say that with all due respect. (laughs) And then the response is, well, I just want to tell my honored friend that you're an idiot. (laughs) And I love it. I just love it. It's, it's like, it's just plain. It's like, you don't know what you're doing. And I mean, they really do get after it. I just love it. And so I've often studied about British politics and, and Winston Churchill, he, he, I, he literally was called for the time that he was in. I believe he saved through the hand of God, he saved England. And in October uh, 29th, 1941, Great Britain was in the worst place. They were in a very bl- bad place. And uh, the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, he visited the Harrow School for Boys to address the graduating class. And it was at this time in the war that Europe was in full swing. England had been continually bombarded by German planes. Supplies were low, casualties were increasing, and the German army was moving through Europe at, with great speed. Many in England were growing tired of the setback after setback, rationing food and water, living in continual fear, and the will of the people was growing weak. They felt alone, and in some real sense, some of them were beginning to believe, maybe we should surrender, maybe we should look, maybe we should negotiate with Hitler. And this was the the season, this was the atmosphere when Winston Churchill took the podium and began to speak. And he said these very famous words. He says, never give in, never give in, never, never, never in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparent overwhelming might of the enemy. I love that quote, but I want you to know he is not the originator of that thought. God is. Because through Paul, this is what God says. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, in the Amplified Bible, it says, And do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries, for such consistency and fearlessness will be a clear sign and proof and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sheer token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. And that's what he's saying. He goes, look at the fact that you take the time to say, God, I'm standing and I'm not gonna move because you promised me victory. I don't care what my circumstances are. I don't care how bad it looks. You said I win. And that fact is a clear sign to your enemy that they're done and a clear sign to you that you have won. Can you say amen? Now in our text in Galatians, Paul is dealing with a church that he had pioneered. He understood both the great success it was and the cost that it demanded. And Paul had spent some time with them, teaching them and guiding them and bringing them up. And they followed his example. And there were great things that were accomplished in that church. But something happened. Something 
changed. Something had happened over the course of time. Because Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 7. He says, you ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul knew that many had begun to grow weary in well-doing. Many were giving in. Many were giving up. They had become content to allow others to change the truth into a lie. And church, you need to pay attention to that because that is the strategy of hell, is to change the truth into a lie. Can you say amen? They were willing and they were desiring for something easier, less demanding, more user-friendly. Now, look, at, I, I need to tell you something. I, I'm getting older in life. I'm not the ancient of days by any stretch of imagination. I'm only 54 years old. And uh, that, to some people, is relatively young. But to others, it's relatively old. But to me, I have lived enough life that I have now history. I can look back. I've been in the ministry for 32 years. I've been ordained for 32 years. And at this time in most people's lives, this is where they're retiring. This is where they're stepping down and they're saying, I'm going to take it easy. And there is a real temptation, especially when I'm faced with struggle, to go, you know what? I don't have to do this anymore. I've put in my time. I've paid my dues. I, I've, I've done my job. I've done my part. And there's a temptation to want to just go, you know what? I'm going to coast. You know what? I don't need to fight the devil anymore. I don't need to push. I, I don't, what, you know, what really, do we really need to contend for the presence of God, you know? Do, do we really need more souls in the kingdom? I mean, the reality is this is a great church. You know, there's three, 400 people that come to this church. It's great. It's good. It's made impact. Do we really need to press for more? Do we, you know, let's just phone it in. Let's just, let's just, you know, let's just, let's just, you know, take it easy. You know, take a chill pill. It's time. You deserve it. You deserve a break today. Right? And sometimes I feel that, and I, and I can feel that, that pressure on me. And so sometimes I want something a little easier. I want something a little less demanding and more user-friendly. And if I'm not careful, the devil will begin to manipulate my thoughts, and he will begin to change the truth that's in me into a lie. That lie is never a bold lie. It's never something that is uh, um, obvious or uh, um, uh, obtruse, or, or it's not something that's larger than life. It's always subtle. It's always something that makes great sense because a lie that has a little bit of truth is the most deadly. Can you say amen? And Paul understood how easy it is for us to get into situations like that and just give up. When things don't go as they're planned or, or it, the cost seems too high or, or the effort is required, that is required is too intense, and it's very easy to simply give in and give up, to go down the path of least resistance. And no one is exempt from that temptation. No one is exempt from giving up. I don't know about you, but I've come to that place a time or two in life where I just want to quit. Oh, I'm not going to walk away from God. Heaven's sakes, no. I never would walk away from God, but I, I'm just not going to be that passionate about You know, what's all the fuss about, you know, I, I, I look at I, this is not a statement about you. This is a statement about me. You know, I see people sometimes they come to the altar, they come to the front, and they worship here. What, why? God's not in the back of the church, is he in the front? Get, somehow God's more up here than he is back there. I don't know. I can tell you, you can be more focused up here than you can be back there. 
There's a lot of distraction back there. And so I had to overcome that. It's like, what's all the fuss? But I find myself now coming forward. Why? Because I just want the intensity. I, I want God to show up. I want him to rattle my cage. Can you say amen? I want him to get a hold of me. I want him to twist me around. I want him to change me. I want all of him. See, I've struggled and I've wrestled and I've endured and I've believed and I've confessed and I've prayed. Yet sometimes I've remained tired, drained, empty and I've felt helpless and hopeless. And what's happened is I've grown weary in well-doing. Some call it burnout. Others call it compassion fatigue. Some see it as discouragement and still others call it depression. But no matter what you call it, the outcome is the same. We're tired. We're weary. The Bible and Jesus do not deny that can be our reality. And it's in that atmosphere where we're most tempted to give in. Quietly lay down our faith or to take matters into our own hands, to give up on the promises of God, or to walk away from relationship, or to give in to temptation, believing that the promise of pleasure will satisfy, or give up on our goal, or our dream, or our future. We buy into the lie that this is as good as it gets. I have actually heard that come out of pastors' mouths. I've sat with pastors that have said, hey, look, man, this is good. This is as good as it gets. Why? Why? Why bother the master anymore? And we've all fought, thought at a time or two. We've all had this thought, what's the use? I might as well just give up. And the idea that Paul is communicating to the Galatians is much more, it's, it's, it's much more than just simply getting tired. Listen to me. We can see from our own experiences that there's something deeper that is at work here. Listen. See, the word weary means, in the literalist sense, to give in to evil, to lose courage. Many have interpreted it as to lose heart. The Greek, in Greek literature, it, it, it's, it's interpreted this way, to utterly be spiritless, to be, weared, to be wore out, exhausted, overwhelmed. And the word is always in what they call the present tense, which speaks of a continuing process. So Paul's statement in our text could really be this. Let us not continue, continually be losing heart. Are you hearing me? Let's not continue to lose heart. Did you know that's the strategy of hell? In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. How many know the devil will speak great words to you against God? And then he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Do you understand when you feel tired like that and you have that temptation, that is the devil at work. What is he doing? He's trying to wear you out. And when I look at our text, the thing that comes jumping out at me is the phrase, for in due season we shall we reap. Literally talking about an appointment. You need to understand this morning, your victory has an appointment. 
There is an appointment for victory. Now, here's the problem, church. We don't always understand the timing of God, and that's what works against us because we have this idea of when this should happen and what should happen, and God doesn't always go with that timing. Can you say amen? But the Bible tells us there is an appointment for your victory. Just as he said, I've given commandment to save you. I have given an appointment for your victory. So what does that mean? Victory is yours. Say that out loud. Victory is mine. Say that. No, no. Victory is mine. Say it again. One more time. Victory is mine. That's what we got to believe. In spite of your circumstances, in spite of what's going on, God has said, for in due season, when it's time, you will reap. You will be victorious. You will have the victory. And David understood this once again. He understood the process of time. And in Psalms 13, he says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever thought and felt like God's forgot you? How long will you hide your face? From me, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? David is, is dealing with this very thing. He's going through a trial. He's going through difficulty. And he's wondering, how much longer do I got to go through this? The timing of God is a mystery. But the promise of God is victory. Can you say Amen. Now, as we close, and I'm going to ask Jason to come, if he would, if he's in here, I want you to look at a couple scriptures. I want to set this in your heart, because church, let me tell you something. Sometimes it can look bad. Straight up. Nobody's going to deny that. But God is not defined by your circumstances, nor are you defined by your circumstances. God is a healer. God is a provider. He is victory. He is peace. He is all that he says that he is, regardless of what you're currently experiencing. And you are a son or a daughter of God. You are a child of God. You are heir to the kingdom of God, regardless of what you feel. And you have to get that. You have to get that on the inside. You say, church, what are you talking? Let me tell you, I have had to deal with this. I, I've had to wrestle these truths down. I've had to make them mine. Because the devil don't want me to have it because he knows if I get a hold of this, it's gonna be hard to throw me off. Can you say amen? amen? So I want you to think about these portions of scripture and then we'll close. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now listen, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him 
who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, unless you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Why are people discouraged and weary in their soul? Because they stopped considering him. We have to get our eyes off the problem. We have to get our eyes off what we cannot change. There are things in this life that you and I cannot change. We do not have the power within ourselves. But with God, all things are possible. The key is with God. That means that there is a focus and a connection on Him. He says, looking unto Jesus, look to Him, consider him. The Bible says, I will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. That is a discipline, church, that we learn to walk in. You have to, you have to be driving down the street. I guarantee you, if you see me driving down the street, I don't have a phone in my truck. So if you see me talking, I'm talking either to me or I'm talking to God. Probably more me. A lot of times I'm saying, hey, you got to get a grip here. You need to pay attention to Jesus. You need to look unto him. Who is he? Who are you in him? You need to consider him. And I need to, it's a discipline that I have to bring myself back to. When I get focused, and I do, I, there's times I get focused on the problem and I get just overwhelmed and I'm like, God, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? And the devil wants to create all these scenarios and he's brilliant at it. He's, he's quite the fiction author. He's good at it. And what I have to do is I have to make a decision to look beyond the fiction, to look beyond the lie and to see Jesus seated on the throne of God. He's not hanging on a cross. He overcame the cross. He's not dead in a grave somewhere. He's the resurrection son of God. And I need to see him and consider him and say, that's who you are, God. That, that's you're my God. Jesus, you're my savior. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and, not, and, he, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Drawing back is not who you are. That is not your identity. The devil may try to put that on you. He may try to convince you that's who you are, but church, that is not who you are. And finally, as I close, I want you to consider this. All the way back into the Old Testament, there's a, a book called Habakkuk. I don't know if I said it right, but that's good for me. And what I want you to do is this, I'm gonna give the church some homework. Today, I want you to go read in one setting the whole book of Habakkuk. I want you to read all of it from beginning to end. Oh, really, Pastor? Yeah, it's three chapters. It'll probably take you about 10 minutes if you're a slow reader. 
Or have your wife read it to you and it'll take you about five. (laughs) But I want you to read that book because the book really does describe some things. It opens with this, and I love this. This This is the richness and the rawness of the Bible. He says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. And he goes on and he describes, he says, Lord, I've told you about the things that are going on around me, things that I know you hate. And I've cried out and I've cried out and you're doing nothing. Habakkuk is having a crisis. And there's a conversation that ensues. And God begins to speak to him and he says, I want you to do something. I want to give you a vision and I want you to write it down. I want you to write down your vision. See, we ought to take some some practical advice. Sometimes we need to write down what we're believing for. He says, write down the vision. He says, though it tarry, it will come. And it will be fulfilled in you. It will be, it will happen. And I, he says, I want you to pay attention. Then this conversation ensues. And this is, this is how Habakkuk closes the conversation. Chapter 3, verse 17. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. What is he saying? He says, you know what? I don't care what I see. All these things may happen but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord of my God. Why? Because he says, that's my strength. That's my strength. Now church, I, once again, I, I, I close and I, I'm bringing this to an end. I'm not saying that you're going to have to endure hardship all your life and that you're just going to have to learn to grin and bear it and how to get through with God. That's not what I'm saying. God's desire is that we walk in peace. His desire is that we walk in goodness and grace. But there are times and there are seasons in our life where difficulty will fall. And the way you get through that difficulty will be determined by what you pay attention to in it. friend of mine a long time ago said these words what you pay attention to you create a passion for have you ever met people that are completely negative I mean you can give them a hundred dollars and go oh great now I gotta pay taxes okay how about you give it back and you can pay no taxes well I don't have nothing now okay how about say eighty dollars is better than nothing but they're negative. They're negative. Always everything. Negative, negative, negative. So how do they get that way? Because they've made a decision to pay attention to the negative. I choose today 
to pay attention to the positive. You're a great church. You're awesome. The power of God rests upon you. There's no church like this one. Say, how do you know that? Aren't there other churches? There are. And I'm sure to that pastor, there's no other church like his. But to me, this one is the greatest one. This is where God's going to move. And I pray he moves there too. But this place, ground zero, this is what God's going to do. And let me tell you something, church. I, I, I'm, I'm almost done, I promise. I apologize. The devil has fought hard. He has. Seven, eight years now, he's fought. There's been a lot of difficulty. I won't, I won't even tell you that there hasn't. But he's losing. He's losing. Let me say it again. He's losing. Revival is ours. Victory is ours. This place cannot hold what God is going to do. You say, why, why do you want... I, I don't care about numbers. What I care about is God's people. I care about His will. He's not willing that any should perish, but all that would come to repentance. And the Bible says that the New Testament church, this is what it said, God added daily to the church as those were being saved. That is the plan for here. He's going to add to the church. He's going to build. He's going to cause it to grow. He's going to provide. He's going to cause people to experience grace, hope, and transformation. There's going to be miracles that abound. We have already had since last week several people come to us and go, God healed me. God healed me. Since our breakthrough service and service last weekend, we prayed. Remember, we had the altar call. I have had people call me and say, God, move for me. That's not going to be the exception. That's going to be the norm. Are you hearing me? You say, why? Because that is the will of God. And we look to that. We don't deny the reality there's a fight, nor do we deny the reality we win. And that's what we pay attention to. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And I pray, Lord, for every person in this room today, Father, that you would touch them. Lord, if they're struggling today, if they are discouraged and bummed out, if they are tempted to give, out, give up, God, I pray that you would come alongside them, begin to breathe upon them, cause that wick that is smoldering. God, breathe about it. Gently breathe that it may come back to life. God, cause that passion and fire and flame to burn brightly again. Father, we take authority over the works of the devil. And Father, we bind it in the name of Jesus. And Father, we release freedom right now. We plead the blood of Jesus over every home, every family, every, every, every person in this room. God, that you would touch and minister. And Father, we're careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.